Well, we're going to have another story tonight. That's quite a story. And uh, hopefully there will be a moral to this story that will be really helpful and meaningful to you. It is really fun for me to be here tonight, not only because it brings back so many memories for me of young adult days, um, but also because Michael has asked me to tell a story that is probably the most important story in my life. It has been really meaningful to me for a number of years, and once or twice a year, I get to talk about this story. And there is a moral to this story. It comes from the book of Hosea, one of those little books. Uh, they are called the Minor Prophets, because, not because they don't have anything major to say, but because the books are really brief. And they're sort of in that part of your Bible, if it's like mine, you know, if it's one that has those gold pages on it, they still have the gold on them. <laughs> because it's not a, a part of the Bible that you open very often. But it is an amazing story, a love story, really. And it is a story with an amazing moral. It is very simple, and it is very profound. The moral of the story is simply, you really matter. And you, uniquely and personally, you and me and I are deeply loved by God. I don't know about you, but that is uh, good news to me. We've been singing about it. I've been so appreciative of the songs that the worship team chose tonight. One after the other are really the book of Hosea in music. So we sing these things because we mean them. We long for them for our hearts. It's a desire of our heart. And I think this book speaks to two of the deepest desires of every human being. To be loved, not simply loved in some big cosmic sense by a distant cosmic God, but loved very uniquely and personally. Loved because we're known, we're seen for who we are, we're accepted for who we are, valued, delighted in, that kind of love. And because I think every one of us want to be significant in some way. We want our lives to matter. We want to have a purpose. We don't want to just spend our days on this earth, abiding our time. We want to have our work, our relationships, our lives, matter for something. And so this story, maybe more than any other story in the Old Testament, talks about those longings and those desires. It also is so fascinating to me to notice that our desires, those kinds of longings, really matter to God. I, I would take you to the book of John, the Gospel of John, and you may know this story, but it is really the story of Jesus' response to the very first disciples, the first two people that chose to follow him in his public ministry. We don't know a lot about the 30 years prior to this, but in the beginning of his public ministry, this is the story. Jesus 
has been baptized or has been noticed by his cousin John the Baptist. And John has been baptizing people throughout the desert, a baptism of repentance, basically saying, you guys have been screwing up and you need to turn your life around. And this water baptism, this dipping into the water and coming back up again, is symbolic of dying to the old and coming back to life in Christ. And so it's been a baptism of, of repentance, but all along he's been saying, there's somebody who's gonna come after me that is more important to me. And in this incident, Jesus is standing with two disciples and he notices out in the distance a bit, Jesus walking by. And he says to his two disciples, that's the one we've been waiting for. That's Jesus, the Messiah. That's the Lamb of God. And the two men who've been following John the Baptist leave him and run after Jesus. And when they catch up with him, Jesus turns to them and he asks this question, what do you want? In other versions, it is, what are you looking for? What is your desire? I think it's fascinating that the first question Jesus asked followers in that day is the question that comes up in the book of Hosea. What do you really really want. In fact, this question matters so much to God that long before he sent Jesus to earth, he had prophets who spoke this kind of a message. You know the story of Israel probably. Well, it was just there a little bit, Moses. But the story of Israel is that they were God's chosen people. God had made a covenant with them, a covenant that said, I love you, I belong to you, you belong to me. Nothing is going to separate us. And that story led them through, yes, the Exodus, led them into years of following after Jehovah, Yahweh, God. But we also know their story that often they would follow really hard after God, but then they would get slightly bored with the laws and the following after God, and they would find themselves in countries where ungodly people were around them, people who followed after other gods, and they began to notice that those people had a life that maybe they wanted a little part of, and so they would begin to integrate some of the customs of the ungodly people around them into their own ways of being. And over and over again, God would send prophets to them and say, this has to stop. You need to repent. You need to turn around. If you don't, there are consequences. Finally, God got to a place where instead of sending prophets who would preach with words, God sent one prophet, Hosea. And he said, Hosea, instead of preaching and using words, I want you to live my story of love for my people. Like it's drama. 
In fact, Hosea, I'm going to ask you to play the role of God or of Christ, who he foreshadowed. And I want your wife, whose name is Gomer, to play the role of my people. Tonight, I want to tell you that story of how God responds to the very deepest desires of our hearts. But I want to tell you the Hosea story in the first person. And instead of telling you the story from the viewpoint of Hosea, I want to tell you the story tonight from the viewpoint of Gomer for a couple of reasons. One, Hosea is a man. Two, Hosea plays the role of God, and I don't want to do that here. I'll do it at home. (laughs) But thirdly, because Gomer is really all of us. When God said to Hosea, I want you to live out this story, he's saying, Gomer is my people. She's going to play the part of my people. She's not playing the part of people who had not ever followed after God. In a way, Gomer is every person who has made an attempt to be a follower of Jesus in our day. He's speaking to Christ followers. And therefore, every one of us in this room, male or female, are Gomer. Fair enough? So as you listen to the story, try to identify with Gomer. Well, it's not really easy for me to come and try to tell you my story. Because my story as Gomer is one that is not very flattering. But I'm telling you my story tonight because I honestly do hope that my experience will resonate in some way with yours. Hopefully it won't be exactly my story. And maybe it will stop you. Maybe it will cause you to not make some of the choices that I've made in my life. I was raised in a Jewish home in the land of Israel. In my time, uh, where we lived in our town, many of the people were Jewish. We practiced our religion. I'd been taught from the time I was a little, little girl about Jehovah God, about Yahweh, about the importance of my heritage. I watched my father, my mother, my uncles, my aunts, my cousins, all of my community believe in Jehovah God. I really didn't know anything else, except that also in our community, there was another temple in town, not a synagogue, but a temple up on the hill where other people in our town followed after a God named Baal. And those people were very, very different than my family and my community. Growing up, I knew that the 
future, my future, would be decided upon by my parents. I was fortunate because I knew that my mother and father really cared about me and loved me. And I knew that even though the choice of who I would marry would be up to my parents, that they cared about me and that they would choose somebody who would take care of me. So early on, I knew that at a young age, I would be given to a man in marriage. But I want to tell you there was something else that I discovered about myself early on. Even though I knew how loved I was by my parents, even though I knew how important Jehovah God was in the history of being taken out of bondage and brought into freedom, I knew all the stories. But I don't know if you'll understand this or not, but there was a part of me, even as a little girl, who wanted to be just a little bit different than everybody around me. I used to think, there's something about me that is special. I don't know if that was arrogant or not. I think it was just a part of me that thought, all of this is good, but I want to be seen for who I am. I don't want to be just my mother's daughter or my aunt's niece. I, I want to be seen as unique and special. I couldn't tell anybody that because that sounded so foolish. And so instead, what I would do is make up stories in my mind. I had so many fantasies as a little girl, stories of what my life would be like and what it would be like to be different and special. They were just stories just things that would go on in my mind. When I was in my early teens, my parents finally let me know that I would be marrying a man named Hosea. I knew he was a good man. And unlike some young girls, I could tell by the way he looked at me that he actually found favor in me might even love me. I began to think, you know, once I'm married, once Hosea is in my life, once I have my own home, some of this need to be special and unique, some of these fantasies will finally go away. But that's not what happened. Maybe for a little while, But not long after I was married, I would find myself back in those stories and fantasies in my mind. My role was to, every day, go to the marketplace, buy food or whatever we needed for our family. And that marketplace soon became my fantasy world. I would get my basket and I would go downtown But as I would do so, I would look at all these people that were so unlike me and unlike my family. Many of them, I would notice, would go on the weekends up to that temple on the mount. 
and they would dress in clothes that were so bright and beautiful, whereas most of my family just dressed in simple drab clothing. There would be hilarious laughter, more coming down from the mountain than going up. And I wondered what was happening, what kind of parties were going on. There were rumors. I began to just make up stories in my mind. What would it be like if I was with one of those men? I don't know when it began to happen, but as I was going into town, I began to notice that there was one man in particular who was always at his little booth when I showed up to buy food. As a married woman, I had to wear a veil over my face. And it would have been absolutely improper for me to speak to this man. But you know what I discovered? You can say a lot with your eyes. <laughs> and I began to notice that when I came into town, we would make eye contact. And oh my goodness, the fantasies that began in me. I don't know exactly how it happened, but we ended up in a conversation. And I began to look forward to every time I went into town having a conversation with this man. Somehow, he invited me to go to one of those parties up on the hill. I thought, I can't do that. I'm married, and Hosea will figure it out. But something in me wanted so badly to do something adventurous. It was like somebody saw me for who I am, not just like everybody else in my community. And I went. You might not believe it, but Hosea never figured it out. What began as one night party with some beautiful clothes given for me to wear and food like I'd never tasted before and wine, I began an affair. I never meant for it to be an affair. But I hope you'll understand that this person saw something in me nobody else saw. For the first time in my life, I felt loved, different, seen. Somewhere in that time, I got pregnant. And I gave birth to our first child, a little boy. It was the role of the father, Hosea, to name our child. And he did so. And he named our first little boy Jezreel. The moment I heard the name, I knew that Hosea did know. Because Jezreel is a name every Jewish person knew. It means scattered, sent out, cast away. And I knew that Hosea understood what had been going on. 
a part of me in that moment thought this needs to end. I do feel scattered. But by now, I was addicted to this stuff. I loved the clothes, the food, the attention, the adventure. Before long, this first man began to lose his luster in my eyes. And I moved on to another. Who could offer more? During this time, I got pregnant again. This time, I gave birth to a little girl. And Hosea named her Lo Ruhama, which means I no longer have compassion. You'd think I would understand. By now, you probably get the story. I could not stop if I wanted to. Before long, more men, and I was pregnant again. Third time. A little boy. Hosea named him Lo Omni, which means I am no longer your God. About this time, I thought, I can't keep living in both worlds. I know you won't believe it. You won't be able to understand it because it sounds so heartless for a mother to do this. But I left. I had needs. I moved into a little flat where I was taken care of by these men who still found me alluring. Once Hosea even sent our children to me to try to ask me to come home. It mattered, but I just couldn't. The problem is that over time, as I got older, the men who found me beautiful and alluring at the beginning began to look for other women, younger, less used, more beautiful. There were times during that period when I thought, I wonder what it would be like to go home to Hosea. But you have to know something else about me. I have pride. I was not going to admit that I was wrong. And I wasn't going to have other women in the town look at me like I told you so. You can imagine how the story ends. Before long, I couldn't make enough money as a prostitute to pay my bills. I had to move to the bad side of town. I had so little. Once in a while, I'd find on my porch a basket of food or a little money stuck under the door. And I thought one of my lovers still remembers Things got so bad 
my debt so high that my creditors wanted money back. One day there was a knock at my door and a man saying, Gomer, the only way you can pay off your debts is to be sold as a slave. I was that very day taken out of my home and to the marketplace where I was going to be sold as a slave. That was the lowest day of my life. How could this have happened to me? I was led up on the slave block. My clothes were removed because I was going to be sold as a prostitute slave. I could not look out at anybody. All I could do would be to look at my feet and wish more than anything else that a hole would open up underneath me and I would just drop through. I think I was delirious because somehow as the, the auctioneer began, I thought I heard a familiar voice in the crowd. But before I could even know it, the gavel went down and I was sold for half the price of a good slave because I was a used slave. All I wanted was to now be just led off the block and taken away. All of a sudden, I heard in my ear a voice and I felt somebody put a robe around me that covered my nakedness. The voice in my ear was familiar to me. It was Hosea. And it was Hosea saying, Gomer, I have come to buy you back. Gomer, I have always loved you. I have followed you all the places you have gone. Gomer, sometimes out of my love for you, I've put money under your door, or I've put a basket of food on your porch. But Gomer, I want you back. But here's the deal. If you come home, I want you to come home as my wife, not my slave. Gomer, will you come home? Yeah, <laughs> I'll come home. Unless you think that is the end of the story. This is what happened. Gomer, Hosea took me home and he brought in front of me our three children. And right then and there, he changed their names. He changed the name of Jezreel from I have scattered to I have gathered. He changed the name of Lo Ruhama, mean I no longer have compassion, to oh, I have such compassion. And he changed the name 
from low on me. I am not your God to, oh, I am your God. You belong to me. I don't know about you, but that story just about wipes me out and I've told it many, many times. Because every one of us in this room are Gomer. Every one of us in this room are Gomer. And this is why. Because although God says from Genesis all the way to Revelation, most particularly through the life of his son Jesus, who did indeed redeem us back, paid the price, he has said over and over and over again, do you know how much you matter, how very uniquely and deeply loved you are? And over and over and over again, we find it difficult, just like the Israelites, to stay in that place of belovedness. I find it so encouraging to know that even Jesus Christ himself needed to know that he was beloved more than once in his life. You know the stories that before Jesus began his ministry, his three years of public ministry, when he was baptized by John, that when he went down in the water and came back up, what did he hear? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus heard it again at the end of his three years of ministry up on the Mount of Transfiguration just days before he would go to the cross himself. Again he would hear, this is my beloved son. You guys, we, we need to hear it over and over and over again because we are going to be allured into prostitution. Living as people who are loved takes amazing courage and a fair amount of effort and attentiveness. You know why? You know why. Because our culture, the one we live in, the one that we go to work in, the one we go to school in, everything around us teaches us that satisfaction comes from sources outside of God, not out of our belovedness. Is that right? Mostly we hear that our value and in our fulfillment, even though spiritual things may be good, Ultimately, they come from other places, our outward appearance, our education, our profession, our status in the community, the money we make, the cars we drive, that somehow our identity, our worth, is fine if we can believe and sing about God loves us, but is it really the well from which we draw that deepest sense of who we are. It is hard to grasp it and hold it. It has been throughout the ages, throughout generations, throughout cultures, throughout races, throughout genders. 
It's true of all of us. And I'm sad to say, sometimes our church culture just adds more to it rather than reminding us of who we are in Christ. We just start adding other things that give us our identity. We're church people or Bible study leaders or whatever. Our life experiences don't help sometimes either <laughs> because many of our life experiences cause us to wonder, to distrust, is it really true that God loves me? Because things have happened in our lives. There used to be a bumper sticker that said, life happens, but it didn't say that. <laughs> and it's really what goes on. Any of us, we've been let down, haven't we? Something's happened somewhere in our life. Most of us don't get out of sixth grade without having some sense of disappointment and wondering about ourselves. And if that's not enough, our culture and our life experiences, there's an evil one out there who would also like to make us feel like even if we're followers of Christ, if I can't get you to turn around and not follow Jesus, I'd like you to follow him and be miserable. To not feel loved, to not feel like you matter and that God has something significant for you and for your life. And so therefore, we're prone to wander. And you may not move into prostitution. You may move to other things that happen on the screen. You may move to all kinds of addictions, some that are deeply harmful and some that are accepted in our society, like getting on the performance treadmill, deciding that only certain kinds of relationships can make me feel good about myself, that I have to have a relationship to feel good about myself. If you had three hours, I could tell you all the ways I'm prone to wonder, <laughs> and you could probably tell me yours. By God's grace, he takes us places where we recognize that we've moved away from God. The key verse in the book of Hosea is in chapter 2, verse 14. And it says this, that, this is a paraphrase, God allured Gomer, allured her into a wilderness place where she recognized that all the things that she thought were going to give her identity and significance were going to fall apart. And in that place, God spoke gently to her and told her that what looked like a door of trouble was going to be actually a door of hope. So I want to close by saying sometimes the greatest gifts God can give us go by the names of the three children that God gave Gomer. 
sometimes that wilderness is that sense in us that who I am on the outside or look to other people and how I feel on the inside are just not matching up. A sense of disintegration. Do you ever feel like if people knew who I really am? You probably don't. I do sometimes. Or the name of the second child where I sense that Nobody has compassion for me, and I don't have compassion for anybody else. A good yellow flag in my life is when I get a little bit judgmental and arrogant. Or the third one, where there's just that deep unsettledness that somehow God is not really there for me. He might be there for all these other sort of cool people, but he's not there for me. By God's grace, honestly, by God's grace, my prayer tonight for all of us, for myself included, because I need to hear it over and over, is that there'd be that whisper in the wilderness that says, Patty Pierce, I love you too much to let you prostitute yourself any longer. These other things may last for a while. They might even be good, but they are not going to give you the deep satisfaction that will last as the foundation for a lifetime. Only I can do that. So come back home. Pick up the broken pieces. Let me love you again. when the two disciples who'd followed after Jesus and heard Jesus turn around, watch Jesus turn around, look them in the eye and say, what do you really want? They didn't even know how to answer it. Instead, Jesus said, just come and hang out with me for a while. And I believe that is the answer to the moral of this story, to actually live as people who are loved and live into the significance and purpose that God has for each one of us in this room, uniquely for each one of us in this room, means to come and hang out with Jesus for a while. Stay with him. Learn from him. Lean into him. I pray that. I want to pray. Jesus, thank you that your word to us is one of love and acceptance, of purpose. And you speak it over us like you did over Gomer in the middle of our brokenness, not when we've got it all together. So I ask that tonight, each of us would have such a sense that you are speaking these words to us, whispering, alluring us. In your name we pray. Amen.